Within just two years of the birth of cinema in 1895, films about Jesus were already being made. By the turn of the century, the number of these films had already reached double figures. The first films were short. The majority were simple passion plays, a notable exception being the famous illusionist George Melies's Christ Walking on Water. As the new technology improved and filmmakers got a better idea about the potential of this new artistic medium, films began to get longer. This month I want to look at Pathé's The Life and Passion of Jesus Christ, which appears to have been the longest film made about Jesus at the time of its release. I say appears because it's far from clear when exactly this film, or rather the version of this film that is most widely available on DVD today, was actually released. The first problem is that films back then didn't state their year of production at the end like they do today, so any dating relies on written records. Ordinarily this, too, wouldn't be a problem, but in this case there appear to have been numerous versions of this film released, some under the same title, other versions under other titles. Indeed, the very title of this film, The Life and Passion of Jesus Christ, suggests the possibility that this was once two films, one about Jesus' life and one about his death. According to the text applied with the Image Entertainment DVD, 18 tableaux were produced in 1902, with a further 10 being added two years later, with the final three shots being added in 1905. It is this final date which those discussing the film usually adopt. However, this contradicts the testimonies of both Campbell and Pitts's The Bible on Film and Kennard and Davis's Divine Images. Both of these reference books list the film as being released initially in 1905, with a longer film of the same name being released in 1908, with a colourised version being produced in 1914, when reviewers who were seemingly unaware of its antiquity, slated it for poor production. There's a third piece of evidence in the form of an 1898 film titled The Life of Christ. Numerous scenes from this film, also included in a video covering Pathé films from 1898 onwards, are included in the later film, either as they are or reshot, suggesting that the origins of the life and passion of Jesus Christ go back to at least 1898. One final piece of evidence is the 1915 film Son of Man, or Man of Sorrows, which apart from a few minor discrepancies appears to be a shot-for-shot remake of this film. It also claims that it was hand-coloured by nuns, all of which presents something of a Jesus film synoptic problem, which is unlikely to ever be solved. It's important to explain all this, however, for two reasons. Firstly, because it shows how very different attitudes were to the canicity of a film then compared to now. Consider, for example, the outrage that George Lucas has faced for the relatively minor alterations he has made to the various Star Wars films. Secondly, it also goes to show how deeply this film was revered, and how Pathé obviously thought it was sufficiently impressive to be worth expanding and reissuing rather than starting a new film from scratch. The film is, as you'd expect, very primitive. Not only is there no audible dialogue, but it appears that the intertitle cards, which became standard fare amongst later silent movies, had yet to be invented. The scenes in this film are separated from one another by a title card announcing the scene, 
but it's up to the viewer to fill in the gaps using his or her prior knowledge of the story. We do sense the team behind this film groping their way towards the idea of intertitles, however. During the famous Eke Homo scene, an extra shot of Jesus is inserted with him standing against a wall with the words written on either side of him. Similarly unrefined is the use of the camera. Cinema in those days was most closely aligned with the theatre. As a result, the camera is very static. There's limited panning and nearly all of the shots are taken in medium range. In other words, it gives a similar kind of view to the one you would get sitting in a theatre watching the performers on the stage. The other very obvious area where this film lags behind modern movies is in special effects. There was actually a fair bit of innovation in this field early on in the life of cinema. Due to the short length of the earliest films, they were likely to appear as part of a variety show, perhaps accompanied by a magician. Hence, there was a market for the spectacular, and illusionists on hand to experiment and see what they could come up with. The results are things like a see-through Jesus walking on water, or a drawn-on dove hovering above, above Jesus as he is baptised. While these seem primitive to us, they were advanced then, and they show us how story was not necessarily the most important aspect of early cinema. The choice of the colouring is also unusual in this regard. Some scenes are black and white, others are shot using a colour filter, generally blue or sepia, whereas still others have been hand-stenciled. These are the most striking, due in no small part to the gaudiness of the colours selected, and the way that they appear only on some items in the shot. But the opening shot is entirely shown in a more natural-looking colour scheme. Of course it may have been completely hand-stenciled, but this may be some other method of getting colour into these early films. Like many silent, silent films, there is also a staginess to the acting, which seems very unnatural to us today. While this is most likely to be due to the theatrical conventions of the day, Catholic film critic Stephen D. Gradinus finds an interesting point of comparison with more established icons. As an icon's lack of naturalism is integral to its transcendent meaning as sacred art, so the life and passion's very staginess and pageant-like nature have a timeless quality that encourages reflection on the gospel events themselves. It's one of a number of indicators of the film's Catholic roots, which is obviously what we'd expect for a film made by a French production company. Others include one of the film's few close-up shots, which is of Veronica after she has wiped Jesus' face when he is on the road to the cross. The camera cuts to a new close-up shot, quite clearly filmed entirely separately, as Veronica shows her cloth to the camera and by extension the viewer. Despite being very much part of that tradition, the film is not at all bound by the Jesus film tradition. As such, it portrays two episodes that have rarely been seen in subsequent films about Jesus, The Woman of Samaria and The Transfiguration. But the film would be more influential in other ways, it is a very large cast as evidence when a huge crowd all trapes up to Golgotha to see get Jesus get crucified. During the 50s, Bible movies became synonymous with the phrase, a cast of thousands. While this cast is far smaller, the limited medium-length shots are often crowded with extras. It also sets up the harmonising tradition of Jesus' films in motion pictures. The screenplay includes episodes unique to Matthew, Luke and John 
And yet Jesus is primarily the man of action most familiar to us from Mark's Gospel. The next major Jesus film was released in 1912, and whilst it contains a few indications that it was influenced by this film, it settled for a far more naturalistic approach. That's all for this month's Jesus Films podcast. I'll be back discussing another film about Jesus next month. Thanks for listening. Bye.